My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hi, I'm Mandy Zucker, host of The Morning Meeting. Today's guest is Kathy Benjamin. She's the author of It's Your Funeral, Plan the Celebration of a Lifetime Before It's Too Late. I'm excited to talk to her today about planning your funeral, when you should start planning your funeral, and how to talk to others about planning theirs. So Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the morning meeting. I am really excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to to talk about this kind of stuff with you. I just finished reading your book. It's your funeral. So we will, we're going to talk a bit about it. I guess my first question is, why did you write a book about planning your own funeral? Well, it's actually the, the second book on funerals that I've written. So okay. it's, it's kind of a, a niche that I found for myself in the in the book world, I guess. But I think it was it's just it was an important topic to me because I had gotten into funerals, you know, enough to to write a book about kind of the history of them. And then you just see, especially you saw it last year, people are just not prepared. And I just remember, especially during the pandemic, which I was already writing it at that point. But just seeing the links to the GoFundMe's as people died and realizing that, you know, especially then in the middle of this incredibly difficult thing for everyone, people were having these these incredibly difficult personal things that they were going through. And while death is never going to be fun, it's never going to be easy, we at least don't have to make it the torture for us that we do by not planning ahead. And I've just been really lucky in my family that we we are plan ahead people, even with things like death. And so so I was able to see in my family like, oh, I've never had this difficulty. I, you know, I don't I don't foresee having this difficulty in the future. I think that's something that other people could really get something from. You had this quote. I'm going to read it. Beginning of your book that I loved. You wrote planning your own funeral is an act of love, an important aspect of positive mental health. And thanks to this book, it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun. Why do you think planning your own funeral is an act of love? Uh, I'd say the act of love that I was kind of gearing towards the people that you leave behind. Because you grief is something that we don't really talk about in society, uh, right along with death. And it's one of those things that people, because it's such a difficult, messy, kind of negative emotion. It's something that we don't really support people on because unless you're really, really close to someone, you don't want to be drawn into that grief. It it weighs you down. It's painful. It's horrible. It involves sobbing on the floor at three in the morning. You know, it's like, so when, when you allow your loved ones to have the time immediately after they lose you to process that grief and and also right after you die is when the people are going to have loved ones around them for like a week essentially basically they can count on that that time should not be spent running to funeral homes and arguing over you know wait are we getting this person cremated or buried and how are we going to pay for this and just that level of stress if you can just say okay we've talked about this we know where this document you know my book or anything else is that we we have all the answers of what they wanted so we can take a day get that done in some cases maybe it's already paid for and you don't have to worry about that aspect of it and then we can just concentrate on being sad and dealing with our grief in this short period of time that kind of society gives us 
to be sad about it. I say that all the time. I worked in hospice for many years and I always say that letting your family know what your wishes are for the end of your life, as well as for funeral arrangements, it's like the final gift that you can give to families because it's such an emotional time. And it's really hard to think about. There's so many details. You know, you outline many of them in your book. There's so many details, so many things to think about with the funeral and having as much of that planned out really is a gift to your family. So it's things that they don't have to worry about or fight about. Like, what does mom want to wear? Does, you know, you know, one daughter's going to say one thing and the other one's going to say something else. And if it's all written out, what a gift it is that they don't have to worry about. Yeah, definitely. And it just, like, even in my very planning family, the most recent uh, death in my family was my 94-year-old grandmother. So it wasn't a shock that she was going to die. We, we, we knew it was coming at that point. And she had planned everything. She'd done things like picked out her obituary picture. You know, I believe she wrote most of it. And we just had to fill in the blanks. But even then, there were things that fell through the cracks that were shocking or like cost more than we thought. Or, you know, so even with what I thought was, you know, a two, the, the last detail planned out funeral, there's still things that come up that you haven't thought of. And even, and even those were like jarring and difficult and shocking. So yeah, to sit down and go, okay, here's, here's everything that needs to be dealt with. And at least vaguely to make it any level of easier, you know? You know, my audience is mostly college students or young adults, I should say, or people that work with young adults. What do you think the importance is for young people to be thinking about funerals? Should they be thinking about funerals? At what age do you think that this book really kind of comes into play? When do you think people should start talking and thinking about their own funerals or funerals of other people in their family? Because especially with young people, you know, I want everyone to live forever and especially no one to die young. Unfortunately, we know it does happen. And that's even more, you know, my 94-year-old grandmother dies. That's one thing. If someone loses a child, that's even more, a whole nother level of grief. So yeah, just any little thing you can do for your loved ones by planning ahead, by saying, this is what I want, how to honor me, because I know you're going to be in a lot of pain. If this terrible thing, none of us want to think happens. And I also think that, you know, the number one cause of death of young people is accidents, including drug overdoses. And the second leading cause of death is suicide. Both of those things are sudden. So Young people are not, you know, not to say that some don't, but they're not dying from cancer when they have a long illness. Thankfully, there's lots of good treatments now for things like that. So they're not dying from things where you might say, you know, so these are things we might want to be thinking about. Oftentimes it happens very suddenly with young people and their families are in complete, utter shock, a car accident, something like that. Um, And they have no idea because you're 20 years old. Uh, what you would want done with your body, who you would want to speak for you, all of those kinds of things. So um, that's why it's actually even more important for young people uh, to have plans like this and what a gift it would be for their families if you did. It's a great, it's such a great book because there's all these great little pages that you can, you know, write on and draw little ideas and things um, that you might want for your funeral. But it's also a way for a young person to maybe say to their parents, um, you know, I was reading this book. Have you thought about some of these things, because it may be relevant for, you know, a 20 year old's parents um, to be starting to think about some of those conversations. And the book is really a great conversation starter. Yeah, I, I thank you. And I, I hope, especially for young people, it would be used that way. You know, I'm, I'm the generation up from that. I'm 38. And so my parents would be like the grandparents, essentially, of people who are in college right now. 
technically I could have a child in college right now. That's really scary. Let's not think about it. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, it is something that I'm dealing with with my parents who are in their late sixties now. And while they've had kind of their own plan, I say kind of this book, they've had a plan. The actual talking wasn't really something that was necessarily happening until the past couple of years because they got older and they realized. So it is, it is something that, yeah, the sooner you can broach it with them. I mean, even people in their forties and fifties probably don't want to be like, Hey, guess what? You're going to die. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, you know, just talk about it. And the sooner you start talking about it, the more normalized it's going to get. And then the easier it is, as things get down the line went to the age where people do die and you just think, okay, if it happens, then it's going to happen. But yeah, if you've been talking about it for 20 years, it's like, oh, okay, this is, we're prepared. We've been, you can easier to joke about it then. Yes. If you're bringing it up for the first time and they're in hospice or something, you know, there is a whole, you, it's harder to be funny then I would think. <laughs> just make a bit of a joke about it and be, you know, not super, super serious about it. I've heard a saying that says it's never too early until it's too late to have the conversation. So, right. It's too late when they're, you know, on the ventilator dying, actively dying. So it's never too early to have that conversation when, and it's much easier to have when everybody's healthy and not really, you know, weighed down with the emotion of, you know, a potential death coming up. Absolutely. And I think for young people, especially one of the things that I've heard a lot in talking to people when, when researching writing and and now kind of selling the book is that the thing that stands out to them or the funerals they go to where they don't see the person they knew reflected back where, you know, it's maybe it's in a church and the person was not religious or something like that. You know, that's just a, a big example, but maybe the eulogy, they were like, that doesn't sound like the person or, or there certain people haven't been invited who should be here. Things that don't reflect the person back. And that does not help with anyone's grieving but obviously that's going to happen if you're trying to essentially in five days usually plan you know what what is a mini wedding basically it costs you know ten thousand dollars at least to do that to throw that together in just a few days of course you're going to get funerals that don't reflect the person and I think with young people especially who who have such a great sense of self and who they are and what they like and what they don't like and especially when you go away to college you are figuring out who you are maybe your parents are still not sure who you are maybe they're still thinking of you as a younger kid so it's good to be like okay look this is who I am this is what I want this is the music I like this is what I'm into these are who my friends are and and make sure that if something terrible happened, the people who who went to mourn you saw you reflected back in that and were able to grieve better and, and honor you and appreciate you. That's so much about what this book really is about, because, you know, you, you talk about that in the book, too, that, you know, these funerals really are mini weddings. There's so much planning that that could go on. I mean, I guess some weddings they're not because they don't maybe they don't want to or they don't have the information available to them to be able to plan these things. Clearly, you did a ton of research about different funerals and traditions and rituals and things. Tell me, what did you find most interesting? Like, what are some rituals or traditions that you thought, wow, that's cool? Oh, gosh, it it just all fascinates me. I suppose the the overarching thing, because history is my, my main love, and so looking at like history, what it, it almost feels like funerals and all these different ways of mourning from, from things like funerary cannibalism, where you eat bits of a loved one 
but it's meant to honor them. So it's not like eating an enemy or anything. Things where where you will take bodies out of the grave and dance with them. Just all of these things that might on, you know, you first hear about them and you go, whoa, that's weird. You realize it's it's all people through time and today in all places in the world trying to deal with the same feeling, which is grief, trying to deal with, you know, yes, okay, you have a body you have to get rid of, but also you're really sad and you have been really sad for a hundred thousand years. How are we going to deal with this feeling? And everyone comes up with their own way of dealing with it. And even countries, like it changes over time. One of the things I mentioned is there are fads in funerals. Like for us, we probably think this is the way a traditional funeral goes. It's like, okay, well, who came up with that traditional funeral and how long have we been doing it? And, and you know, funerals are not a thing that's been set in stone forever. They change all the time. So I think that for me is the most interesting is that every time you find one of those little quirks, those things that seem weird, just however weird it seems to you, in another place, in another time, it's people being like, okay, I'm sad. How do I deal with it? The other thing, I mean, maybe not fads, but trends for in funerals. One that um, I've been very interested in, and I think a lot of young people are probably interested in, are these green burials, you know, really trying to take, some of them are really trying to just eliminate their carbon footprint. And some of them actually, there are trends where you're actually helping the environment. Can you talk a little bit about some of those trends? Yeah, green funerals, especially for people who are like in their late teens, early 20s now, I mean, just kind of throw everything else away because that is where it's going. That is absolutely where things are headed, I would say. Yeah, so it's a traditional embalming burial is really bad for the environment, but, but just about everything. You're taking up a huge amount of land. You're, um, a lot of places still make you have lead-lined either coffins or the box that goes around the coffin in the grave. Embalming, I mean, don't even get me started. <laughs> like, I'm not a fan of embalming. Yeah, so everything about that is really bad for the environment. Natural burials, which is, you know, we're going, we're going back to the very beginning where it's, you know, you're basically put in a shroud. It's very similar to a traditional Jewish burial. You're basically put in a shroud and you're put in the ground. You're put a little bit um, higher up than we kind of think of the normal six and a half feet, which is absolutely fine. You're low enough down that the animals won't get you and things like that. But that's where the best layer of essentially microbes and things that will uh, make use of you and turn you back into plants and everything are. So that is a big one. People are doing trees, although with trees, you you use cremains and cremains technically don't have any nutrients, so it's more symbolic, but at least you're planting a tree. So that's cool. One of the really exciting ones is, I believe it's only Washington State and Colorado right now who've legalized it, but that's been in the past year or two. So it is, it's coming. Basically, they turn you into compost. So you're put in a container. Oh, you're talking about the water? Right? No, there's the, there's the water one. There's the okay. water one, which is legal more places. It's illegal okay. in uh, New Hampshire, I'm pretty sure. But uh, we'll get to the water one. But this one is great. No, it's, it's it, you literally, you, just, you become compost. They put you in a, in a container, almost like a coffin, but it's like pressurized and it gets warm. And they put a mix of, of bacteria and other things in there. And you you become what is compost, basically. And then they, they give you back as if it was cremain to your relatives after I believe it's a like two or three months um they give it back to your relatives and then you really can be used to like give nutrients to trees because you are now compost you're not just bits of ash essentially and then there's this other one with aqua yeah it's got it I I think they're settling on aquamation or water cremation I think is what the the, the business is kind of settling on it's got so many names 
So let's go with water cremation because they seem to like that one. And yeah, it's basically instead of cremation, they do the same thing only with water. So they, they essentially turn you into a soup. And then instead of the bits of you that are soft being kind of burned away, they are kind of boiled away and then flushed away. And then you do the same thing that you do with cremation, which is you take the bones that are left over and you crush them up and they turn into a white little dust. And that's what you're given back when you're given back cremains. So you get the same thing in the end that you would get from a fire cremation in a water cremation. And it, yeah, it just uses, because it's not using as much fuel to heat up to basically boil you. And it doesn't take as long, I don't think. It, it's just a little bit and more environmentally healthy. Yeah. But I always say with the, with the environment thing, I always say that, yes, obviously we all have to go greener, obviously. And this is a great way to do that, especially if you're, it's something you're passionate about. But you find a way of having your remains disposed of that, that means something to you. Don't worry about that. You know, like it's, we all make decisions in life on where to be environmentally friendly. Like not everyone is a vegan and people have children, which is a very unenvironmentally friendly thing to do. And I feel like death and for both your loved ones and yourself, getting that closure in the way that you feel most comfortable with is definitely the most important thing. Very good point, right? We can't do it all, right? Another sort of interesting thought that I had as I was reading this book. So and, and as I said, planning your funeral, I really do feel like is a gift to your family because it just takes so much burden off of them. And yet you're not going to be there. Like, I mean, your body's there, but you know, you're not actually the one participating in this service. So I have heard the sort of opposite where people say like, do whatever you want. It's, you know, I'm not going to be participating. So do what works for you. What do you think? What do you think about that idea? I, you know, I absolutely agree. At the end of the day, funerals are for the living, but I include everyone who's living in that. So like right now we're all alive and I find a lot of, um, I find a lot of calm and solace in planning what's going to happen to me because I'm a control freak. So it makes kind of the idea of my death uh, for me now, right now when I'm alive, less scary because it makes me feel like I have some sort of control over it in a way. Now, when I die, if I've asked for something ridiculous and my loved ones are like, we can't afford this, we can't do this, obviously I don't want them to go to, you know, I don't want them, I don't want to make it harder for them. That's not the point. And so if there's something that's important to them to either do or not do, then exactly I'm gone it's absolutely fine I think there's I think there there is that fine line of like yeah you everyone who's alive just let them get what they want (laughs) but there are certain things obviously that are I would say going too far occasionally you will hear about a, a trans person who has passed away and their parents are their next of kin and they'll dead name them on the you know throughout the funeral and on the tombstone things like that i I would deem inappropriate. So it's kind of that line of, of you, you want to honor the person, but yeah, there are some extreme things. If, if they ask to be, uh, have their ashes spread in Disney World, just know that if you do that, you're going to get arrested. So are you willing to do that for them? Just tell them when they're alive. Sure, Grandma who loves Disney will do that and then don't. That makes sense. Right. So what are some other things that you feel like are really important for people as they are thinking about their own funerals? What are some things that, you know, some basics that you feel like people should really focus on? I would say this isn't even necessarily funeral related, but death related. The, the thing these days is your, your online life. 
because we all live our lives online. We walk around with our phone in our hands. How, does anyone know all your passwords? I mean, even my husband and I don't hide anything from each other, but I, I'm the one who remembers the passwords in the family. If I died, you wouldn't be able to get into anything unless we have them all written down, which we do and hidden. But so, yeah, do people know how to like pay, pay off credit cards or get a hold of things? Do they, do they know how to, you know, get your, your social medias to either be gone or to be limited? Um, I think that Facebook and I think Instagram lets you memorialize them. Do they know how to do that? What do they have the information they need to prove to them that that they are allowed to do that? Yeah, just that whole thing. There there are stories. It doesn't work. But there are stories of uh, police who have gone into funeral homes with cell phones and tried to use the corpse's finger to open it because Apple won't even give the FBI information to open people. So yeah, you can't do it because it needs like the electricity from your fingers when it feels something like that and you're dead, it's not there anymore. But they've tried like more than once. So, you know, if you can't, if your family or the police or whoever can't get into your cell phone, that's a problem. And it just, it just becomes such an, in, an inconvenience. You read all these stories. It's unbelievable the inconvenience when you're suddenly locked out of someone's online life and you have to start proving to everyone that you're next of kin and they really are dead and everything. So basically those sort of things you don't really think about when, when you're thinking about dying and funerals and who gets what and, you know, where I'm going to be buried. It's this massive part of our life that gets missed because it's kind of new. So that's definitely, definitely one of them, I would say. Think about, think about that. <laughs> when it comes to it funeral itself. I thought it was interesting in the book that you write about how many people are buried with their <laughs> cell phones. And what you're saying is if you haven't given people your passwords and things, Go ahead and bury it because it's totally useless if people don't have access to it. I love, I love the cell phone thing. What the thing I love, especially just personally about the cell phone thing, is I wrote my my first book, Funerals to Die For, in 2012. It came out in 2013, and in that I talk about um, how how a few people have done this weird thing where they bring their cell phones with them to the grave. And now in this one, it's like, okay, you're probably going to bring your cell phone with you because in less than a decade, it's gone from like, oh, look at these kooky people to. No, everyone does that because honestly, what what is more important to people in this day and age? And I like the um, the idea that that people do they so they bury you with the cell phone, and obviously that there's not going to be any use for that, or put it in an urn after you've been cremated. But then they'll keep family members will keep paying your bill, and so they can call you. And one, if you have a voice message, in a lot of cases, that might be the only recording of your voice that they have. So they still have access to that and can hear you. But also it's just that comforting thing of like, I'm going to call, oh, your team won the Super Bowl. I'm calling and telling you, you know, and having a chat. And and at the same time, knowing that the cell phone is with that person. And it's kind of just, I, I compare it to almost like in a more secular society, it's almost like like praying. Like people who are, who are religious may pray and be like, you know, I'm praying to someone who's in heaven. And if you don't kind of believe that, it's but it's, it kind of fulfilling the same the same need. I'm talking to this person who has passed on. As long as you know you're not like actually talking to the person and they're not like alive down there and you have to save them or something. Like and as long as it's a healthy way of, of dealing with that grief, you know, do it. That's fine. Yeah. I think it's beautiful. And it's much very common these days. So yeah. It's not weird. I also thought it was interesting that you said that so many people take selfies at the funeral with the body, which I get, you know, my dad died 18 years ago. So cell phones were a thing, but not like a big thing yet. And I remember thinking like, 
Do I want a picture like my last picture? And I didn't take it um, because I didn't want that to be like my last memory. I can imagine I had the, the urge, you know, and I did think about if I wanted that or not. I decided no for me, but I can imagine a lot of people decide that they do want that picture. Oh, yeah. It, it's especially for, for young people. And I feel so ancient. But, you know, it's, it, you take photos of things, you put it online. That's, and a funeral is a big event. If you take a photo at a wedding, you, why wouldn't you take a photo at a funeral? Like, it's, it's just as big a deal. Here's why I am. Here's what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that, but again, it is a generational thing, too. So if, you know, a grandparent has died and their spouse is still alive or something, they might not like the kids. So it's one of those things to talk about. It's like, are we allowed to take photos? And is it everything but not the body? Or is it, you know, but you just, man, you see it, especially when celebrities die, if they have an open casket funeral. I, I was writing an article the other day about 70s celebrities who had died and, and where they're buried. And you just go searching for like um, Aretha Franklin and James Brown. It was the 60s. Aretha Franklin and James Brown. And they're just, if you search for them, you get photos of them in their casket. Like there are just so many photos out there. So yeah, people are, people are doing it. You almost can't avoid it when it's someone famous. So you can imagine that even regular people, that's, for some people, that's going to be important. It, it, I tie it back to, I tie so much back to the Victorians, but I tie it back to the Victorians of like, they, they had postmortem photography. They did it for other reasons. They did it because photography was out of their reach for most of people's lives. And so that might be the only photo they ever have of that loved one, but they did it. And now we're doing it for a reason of, we take photos of everything. So of course we'll take photos of that as well. So it's, yeah, it's not, nothing new. Literally, they, they, they invented photography. And within three years, I think we have the first photo of a, of a dead body that we know of. So it was immediate. <laughs> we're, just, we're just doing what other people thought was natural. What's been like one of the most interesting funerals that you've heard about? I put it in the book. I like the gentleman who uh, secretly, he had, he, it was half a million dollars he had lying around and he didn't tell anyone. But then everyone who came to his funeral from the minister who gave it to children were it, the half a million was divided up and they got like almost two thousand dollars each in the end, which meant you know, a lot of people come to the funeral, which is great. And they just all got checks in the mail a couple of weeks later, like, hey, thanks for coming to my funeral. Like, that's a great idea. And having talked to people about that, like those of us who don't have half a million dollars lying around to do that. But people have come up with really good ideas, like if you have a large book collection, you know everyone can have one of my books. Or if you're an artist and you have pieces that, you know, uh, pottery or just paintings that you wouldn't want to give away while you were alive, but now you've died. Hey, everyone take a piece of this. It's, it's like a part of me. It, and I never thought about that before of like favors at a funeral. But if they're meaningful like that, that's kind of great. I really like that. Yeah, the <laughs> with cremates. When you talk, my mother wants to be a diamond, by the way. She, she learned, we learned about that when I, when I was in college. And she was like, yeah, that's, you have to do that. And still, that's what we have to do, apparently. But you can do anything with remains. I mean, anything. There are people who will make portraits or just pictures of something else, but portraits of the person who's passed away with their cremains. You can get tattoos because cremains are, there's nothing in them. There's nothing bad. Uh, it's essentially just dust. It's fine. So you can get it mixed with tattoo ink and have a tattoo done, a memorial tattoo that actually has the cremains in it. I mean, the, the list is uh, genuinely, I think I sent a list of about 50 things to my editor and they cut it down to like 15. And even that 50 was like barely scratching. So you can get put into bullets. 
you you know if, if they were a hunter or if you're a hunter you can be put in a in a hourglass it won't work as an hourglass but it's symbol if 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 a loved one or you is getting cremated do you got lots of options other than just going in a in an urn and even those who are not getting cremated like i think that the book just sort of sparks so many you know your creativity there's so much that you can do and i think that that's important to think about when you're thinking about your own funeral or if you're having conversations with loved ones about their funerals that it doesn't have to be this sort of you know traditional um you know what you might think of as just a service with a eulogy uh you know a burial like there's so many more things that you can do to to bring the personality of the person that's died into the funeral and i think um that's one of the the takeaways that i get from your book definitely it's it would be really nice if we if we realized we could break from that it is again, Victorian tradition of what we consider right now a traditional funeral that that was absolutely started with the Victorians and they were just so good they were so obsessed with death and they were so good at just going this is what we do with death that we still do it over a hundred years later and for a lot of people it would never even be considered that that something else could be done cremation in America only became the predominant um so over 50% of people who die are cremated now, I think in 2016, like the 2010 and Europe or England, at least was a little bit before that. So even just just cremation, which seems like it would be such a normal thing, was considered very scandalous. I mean, well into the 1980s. Yeah. So yeah, we're we're it is one of the things where it takes a while to break out of this, but we're we're learning, especially with the green funerals. Now people are being like, okay, what else is there? And mm-hmm. if they're thinking of that kind of green stuff, then they can also start thinking, oh, wait, if that can be different, anything can be different. So if people are interested in learning more about funerals, do you have like a good uh, resource that you think people should look into? I I believe they put the list in the back of the book. I gave them a list. So that's a good resource. The book is a great resource. Further further reading. And what this is, is basically the the books that I have on my shelf. Caitlin Joey is like the, the face of the funeral industry and she does ask a mortician on youtube which is absolutely worth watching uh and reading all her books as well by mine first but (laughs) she's amazing yeah she started the order of the good death which is a website that you can go to It's, it's essentially a group you can join and they they do a whole bunch of stuff and they have great articles and you can learn so yeah it's definitely there is a a growing death positive movement that is especially full of young people that is very energized and wanting to have conversations about these things and wanting to learn more. And so there's a lot more information that's easier to get now, I think, than there probably ever was. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a really interesting conversation. I hope people get as much out of it as I did. And I encourage them to read your book because I really it's written in such a nice way that it's just easy to read and and feels like you're talking to a friend. So Thank you. Yeah. And just for the book, it is it is funny, you know, respectful, but funny. And also it is like a workbook. There are pages, as you said before, you fill it out. It's it's an interactive book. So it's not just a boring, dry. Here's how to plan your funeral book. Do you have a good uh, website to, to purchase it? Um, they can go to my publisher's website, which is Quirk Book, um, or they can go to my website, which is www.kathybenjaminmyname.com, or they can follow me on Twitter at Kathy Benjamin, and I have links to that in my in my uh, bio and all that. Perfect, and I'll put it on the show notes as well. So great, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Such an interesting conversation. 
today with Kathy. Thank you so much for being here on the show. We're going to take a break next week so that we can enjoy our Thanksgiving holiday this week. So join us in two weeks when I speak with Maraid Peters and Joyelle Mulheran about family bereavement leave and the policies that Joyelle is working on to create that for all Americans. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.